Okay, praises be uh, to our loving Father and our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach, because we are again gathered to study His words and His commandments. Now, tonight we're going to study all about the book of Ruth. It's actually a short book, only four chapters in length. And we're going to go through the entire book of Ruth uh, tonight. Is that okay? If we do that, it might be a little lengthy, but we this is important to study because of its relationship not only with the gospel message, but also specifically the book of Revelation. If you still remember, last week we left off with studying Revelation chapter 4, and we were given a vision of the throne room of Yahuwah. Yahuwah was sitting on his throne. He is, after all, the author of all reality. He is the creator of all things. And in that throne room, we were given a vision of four living creatures representing worshipers from heaven, the celestial beings, and 24 elders representing worshipers who come from earth. And so what was missing, of course, was the Lamb himself, our King and Shepherd, Yahushua HaMashiach. That is because he is going to have a grand entrance in Revelation chapter 5. And this entrance of our King Yahushua is dramatic and powerful. But for us to appreciate the drama, for us to appreciate the significance, of the grand entrance of our King Yahushua, we need to first understand the book of Ruth. This is why we need to go to the book of Ruth so that we can have a proper understanding of the events that will take place in the rest of the book of Revelation. So let's go ahead and jump into the book of Ruth because the book of Ruth is a enjoyable read. I do recommend that you read the book of Ruth because it is a romance and everybody loves romances, right? When we watch movies and television shows. We are often inspired by drama involved in romance. And there's a lot of drama in this love story between Ruth and this other person we're going to be introducing shortly. And so this is not only a book of drama and romance, it also, like what I said, it also communicates to us the gospel message, which is why we called this um, study, uh, Ruth, Patterns of Redemption and also points to what is going to be a dramatic feature of the book of Revelation. So let's jump into the book of Ruth, Ruth 1, 1 to 2. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. And so we begin by introducing us to the background. And the background is the time of the judges during the days of Israel. Now, if you so remember, during the days of the judges, the people of God were up and down. When they obeyed, Yahuwah blessed them. But when they disobeyed, Yahuwah punished them. And oftentimes the punishment was famine and also being defeated by their enemies, especially the Philistines. And so they would repent and then they would return to God. Yahuwah would again bless them. And then what would they do? They would again fall into sin. And so the cycle repeats itself. And so there was ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs during the days uh, the judges, apparently at this point, the people of Yahuwah were under the curse of Yahuwah. They were in famine. Perhaps this famine was very, very intense, and perhaps it was very long. 
because it caused Elimelech and his wife Naomi to get out of Judah and to go to a different place. Where did they decide to go to? A place called Moab. Not a good idea. Why not? Because if you still remember when Yahuwah informed the people of Israel back in Deuteronomy, before they entered the promised land, the land in Canaan was the place where they are to receive the blessings of Yahuwah. Now they're going to go back to Moab to escape the discipline of Yahuwah. Not a good idea. I think it would be better to just kind of tough it out, accept the discipline of Yahuwah, and to repent. And so whenever bad things happen to us, because of a curse or because of a punishment, the best thing to do is not to run away from the punishment, but to repent and return to Yahuwah. But instead, what did Elimelech and Naomi, together with their sons, decide to do? To go to Moab. Take note who the characters here are. We have Elimelech, who was a, uh, a Bethlehemite, and so he was from Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah. So he's from the tribe of Judah, and he's from Bethlehem. That's something, that is something that we need to also remember. He's from Bethlehem. Who was born in Bethlehem? Our king, Yahusha. Who was from the tribe of Judah? Our king, Yahusha. Elimelech is from Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah. And he had a wife, and his name was Naomi. And they had two sons. What were their names? Melon and Kilia. They decide to go to Moab. That's not a good idea. Why not? The book of Deuteronomy 23, 3-6, it says, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of Yahuwah, even down to the tenth generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt, and they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor in Aram, Naharaim, to pronounce a curse on you. However, Yahuwah your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you, because Yahuwah your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. This is why it was not a good idea. It was not the will of Yahuwah Abba for Elimelech and his family to migrate and to go to Moab. They should have stayed in Israel. They should have stayed there in Judah. But they went to Moab anyways. And so what happened to them in Moab? Ruth. 1, 3 to 5, then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpha, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. And so, even though it was clear to Elimelech and his family, that it would not be the will of Yahuwah to go to Moab. They've gone anyways, and so what did they find there? Nothing but misfortune. What happened to Elimelech? He died. What did the two sons decide to do? Because after all, they were in Moab. Well, they decided to marry Moabite women. Remember what Yahuwah said? Do not have any treaties with them. And not only did they disobey that, they actually married the Moabite women. Who were they? Ruth and Orpha. They were two Moabite 
women. And after they got married, eventually what happened to both Malon and Kilion? They both died. And so Naomi is left alone without a husband and without his two, her two sons. However, she did have two daughters-in-law, Orpha and Ruth. And so when we look at Naomi, she probably is depressed at this point, right? Because you are in a strange land, people of Moab, who did not worship Yahuwah. They worshiped false gods. She was in a foreign place, and now she is without her husband and her two sons. And so indeed, what she needs a is a need for redemption, right? Because obviously it wasn't the will of Yahuwah Abba for them to go there, but because of Yahuwah's mercy, Yahuwah eventually would provide a way for her redemption and then some. And so the first pattern of redemption is the need for redemption. It's when we fall uh, from Yahuwah's grace and we stumble and fall and commit sin. It's when we need redemption. And so that's the first thing we need to understand. So now uh, Naomi is by herself. She is with her two daughters-in-law. What does she Find out. Let's read Ruth 1, 6-7. Uh, then Naomi heard in Moab that Yahuwah had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set up from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. And so while in Moab, what did uh, Naomi find out about? She found out that Yahuwah began to bless Judah again. What's the proof? They had good crops again. Perhaps they repented, which is what they should have done all along. Instead of running away from the discipline of Yahuwah, they should have went to Yahuwah and repented from their sins. Now that she is in Moab and she hears the people of Judah are being blessed by Yahuwah Abba, what did she want to do? She wanted to return to her homeland. And so this shows us Naomi still had faith, right? She had faith in Yahuwah. She had faith with the people of Israel. So she wanted to go there. However, what would she do with her two daughters-in-law? Well, she wanted to kind of go there by herself and leave the two daughters-in-law uh, there in Moab. And so what did Naomi say in uh, Ruth chapter 1? And the verses are 8 uh, down to 9. This is what it says. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back. Each of you should go back to your mother's home. May Yahuwah be as kind to you as you were to me and to our loved ones who have died. May Yahuwah repay each of you so that you may find security in the home with a husband. When she kissed them goodbye, they began to cry loudly. And so we hear that Naomi is making plans to go back to Judah, and she's telling her two daughters-in-law to go back to their mother's home so that they can find someone to marry and find security living with a family in Moab. However, before she decided to leave, she gave a blessing to the two daughters-in-law. This is why she prayed and she requested from Yahuwah, may Yahuwah be as kind to you as you were to me, and to your loved ones, to our loved ones who have died. May Yahuwah repay each of you that you may find security in a home with a husband. So we know Naomi is a faithful person and she has faith in Yahuwah. 
and she's invoking the name of Yahuwah to create to give a blessing to her daughters-in-law and the blessing is a nice one because when you look at the blessing may Yahuwah be as kind to you the word kind in Hebrew is significant because the one thing we know about this Hebrew word which is what I want you to memorize it is the word hesed Hebrew 2617 uh, which means goodness kindness faithfulness loving kindness or unfailing love remember there's a need for all of us not just Naomi for redemption because all of us fall into sin right and so the first thing that we need to understand if we are to find redemption is we must rely upon the loving kindness of Yahuwah Abba this is why Naomi is invoking the name of Yahuwah may Yahuwah be as kind loving kindness to you and whenever the people of God back then invoked the name of Yahuwah it was very powerful and it was very important this is why there's a command that we must not use the name of Yahuwah in vain because it is reserved to invoke a great blessing because when you use the name of Yahuwah you need to make sure that when you do so it is befitting the name of Yahuwah this is why when she said may Yahuwah be as kind to you that is an alignment of what Yahuwah wants to do this is why in the book of Exodus which we studied last week in our worship service lesson then Yahuwah came down in the cloud stood there with him and he called out his own name Yahuwah Yahuwah passed in front of Moses calling out Yahuwah Yahuwah the God of compassion and mercy I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness and so here Yahuwah invoked his own name he called his own name Yahuwah Yahuwah he says and then he says the God of compassion and mercy where does his compassion and mercy come from is unfailing love guess what the Hebrew word is for unfailing love Hesed, the same word that uh, Naomi used this is why Yahuwah and blessing the name of Yahuwah it is in alignment with Hesed. this is the beginning of redemption okay loving kindness this is also the basis for Yahuwah in extending compassion to Nineveh and to Jonah and to Israel loving kindness is the foundation for his compassion and mercy and it's also the basis and the foundation for the compassion grace and love that he will show to Naomi and to the people of Israel and so that is another pattern of redemption loving kindness or said. and so when Naomi tells the two daughters in the Orpha and Ruth I'm going to go back to uh, Bethlehem but you're going to stay here in Moab what did they say Ruth 110 no they said we want to go with you to your people that's a pretty bold statement to make remember these two daughters-in-law they have no idea what Israel is like all their life they grew up where Moab they were only introduced to Yahuwah because of the sons of Naomi they have no idea what life is like in a strange place called Canaan or Israel nevertheless what was their conviction both of them said no they said we want to go with you to your people so they wanted to go with Naomi perhaps the reason why 
is because Naomi, the meaning of her name is pleasant. And there's good reason to believe that Naomi had a pleasant personality. And when you have a pleasant personality and you're easy to love, of course, it's going to evoke a very powerful and intense emotion to have to say goodbye. And so initially, this was the reason why the two of them said, no, we want to go where you go. In the spur of the moment, they both wanted to stay with Naomi. But we know emotions, they come and go. Emotions should not be the basis for one's conviction, right? It should be true faith and belief. And so sometimes in the spur of the moment, we say things that we don't really mean. And so what does Naomi say to both of them? Ruth 1, 11, 13, but Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? Makes sense, right? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if, if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because Yahuwah himself has raised his fist against me. So Naomi recognizes um, the discipline of Yahuwah's hand. And at the same time, he wanted to make sure that these two women who said they wanted to go with her, that they both knew what that would mean. Because Naomi said, why would you go on with me? I'm too old to marry again. And you're young still, and you can still find people to marry and find security in a marital life. And so what Naomi is basically doing is she's talking some sense into these two women, right? And so because of that, what happened? Let's read 14 and 15. And again, uh, they wept together and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. And so after the lecture given by Naomi, who was convinced to leave? Orpha, right? This is why oftentimes when we make a decision in the spur of the moment, we have to let the emotions kind of fade and see whether or not we can stand up by our decision. Because oftentimes, when we make um, statements of commitment, we don't really mean it because it's only in the spur of the moment. But here we can see something different about Ruth. Orpha was easily convinced, right? And so she went back to Moab. And when she went back to Moab, what did that mean? She's going to go back to her gods. And to go back to, to her gods, it would mean she would have to worship Chemosh again. That was the chief god of the Moabites. And this Chemosh was a pagan god that accepted human sacrifice. And so for Orpha, it was kind of easy for her, you know, to go back to Moab. I mean, we don't really want to blame her for that. But one thing is for sure, the conviction, the faith that she has is not that strong because she was easily convinced to betray who? Yahuwah. Because to worship Chemosh, to go back to the false gods, means to betray who? Yahuwah. And so Ruth said, no, she clung. You know that she clung to Naomi and she said no. In fact, what did um, Ruth say to Naomi? What was her firm belief? What was her core belief in life? 
Let's read here the famous, this is where we find the famous loyalty statement from Ruth, right? Let's read Ruth 1, 16, 18. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May Yahuwah punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was, Ruth was determined to go with her, she said, nothing more. And so when Naomi kept insisting, kept trying to convince Ruth, Ruth, go back to your homeland, just like Orpha. What do we see in this message of Ruth? We saw her conviction. What did she say? She wanted to be loyal, first and foremost, to her God. You notice that? In fact, when Naomi, the Bible says in verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Do you know what convinced Naomi that Ruth was determined? She actually invoked whose name? Yeah, she invoked the name of Yahuwah. She said, may Yahuwah punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And so we can see here a deep faith and commitment, the part of Ruth. She loved Yahuwah. She loved worshiping Yahuwah. And she did not want to worship the false gods. She wanted to be a true follower of Yahuwah. And so we can see the difference between Orpha and Ruth. Orpha's loyalty to Yahuwah was questionable. She ultimately chose to return to the gods of the Moabites. You know, sometimes when we have converts, right, and they, marry, they decide to join the, the, your religion because of someone else, because of the, the person they're marrying, right? It's not because of real faith. And so it would be easy for them to be convinced to go back to the former religion. But Ruth, it was different. She was dutifully loyal to Yahuwah. She was determined to be committed to Yahuwah, which enabled her to make sacrifices and show kindness to Naomi. This is why Ruth, despite the fact that she was a Moabite, a, a Moabitess, I don't know if that's how we call it, Moabitess for a female Moabite, even though she was a Moabitess, because of her faith in Yahuwah, I believe she became true Israelite right there and then. When she said that to Ruth, she became no longer a Moabitess. She became what? A true daughter of Yahuwah. And so they both decide to go back to Bethlehem. In Romans, in Ruth 1, 19 and 22, so the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. And so they traveled from Moab all the way to Bethlehem. And that was a 50-mile walk. Today, we can easily drive a 50-mile journey. It takes about an hour, depending on how fast you're driving, right? But if you were walking, it would probably take 7 to 10 days, especially if you, get, if you have to go through the hills along the way. If you have to go through uneven terrain, it's much more difficult, especially if they're just two women, a lot of bandits during that time, a lot of danger. So I believe it was by Yahuwah's protection that they made it all the way to Bethlehem. And so for sure, Ruth not only professed her faith, she proved her faith in 
Yahuwah, because if she did not have faith, she would not make that trek. She would not sacrifice everything she had. Can you imagine going to a place that's completely foreign to her, all because of her faith in Yahuwah and all because she loved Naomi? This is Ruth. And this is something that we should imitate as well, right? And so when they get to Bethlehem, notice what happens. So the two of them continued on the journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. And so the women see Naomi, they recognize her, but something's different about it. This is why they ask, is it really Naomi? And we cannot blame Naomi because when you have hardships and trials, it shows up on your face. You perhaps get older quickly. And so when they ask, is it really Naomi? What does she say? Don't call me Naomi. She responded, what does Naomi mean again? Pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but Yahuwah has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when Yahuwah has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so here we have Naomi together with Ruth. When they get there, uh, Naomi is lamenting her condition, how she's carrying so much suffering to the point she doesn't want to be called Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Why? Because when she left Bethlehem to go to Moab, she had full of stuff, full of good things, husband to sons, right? When she comes back, she is bitter and she is empty. But the good thing is she was able to go back. That's exactly where Yahuwah wants her to be. Not in Moab, but where? In Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. She should have stayed in Bethlehem. They both should have stayed in Bethlehem. But what's done is done, right? They went to Moab. She's learned her lesson and now she's back and she's lamenting what she has done. What do you call that, by the way? When you lament and feel, you feel remorse and you want to make right what is wrong and you feel the pain and the anguish and the sorrow of being punished by Yahuwah and then you want to go back to him. What do we call that again? Repentance. And this is another pattern of redemption. And so here Naomi feels the pain of being punished by Yahuwah. She accepts it. Now she wants to go back and make things right. And it's a good thing that together with her is Ruth. And of course, when they get back to Bethlehem, they need to eat. They need a home. They need their own land. But it's not something that they have. Because after all, they lost all of that when they went to Moab. And so she's empty. She has completely nothing. All she has is her faith and Ruth. And that's a good thing to have. Ruth and faith together. It's a good thing to have. And so when they were there in Bethlehem, what did they decide to do? What did Ruth decide to do? Let's read now the book of Ruth, chapter two now, one down to three. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabites, the, 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 the Moabite woman, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain 
behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. She went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvester. Something we need to understand about Israel and their life in during that time. Because during the days of the judges, during the days of Israel in Canaan, the people's jobs were agriculture based. The land produced the crops, they sold the crops, that was their livelihood. And so the people had fields. And in the fields, if you were rich, you had hired people doing the harvesting for you, right? And so there were different fields all over Bethlehem. And so what did Ruth want to do? She wanted to get the leftover grain. During the days of Israel, there were three main feasts. What were they? In Deuteronomy 16, 16, three times a year, all your males shall appear before Yahuwah your God, the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before Yahuwah empty-handed. And these three feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, they corresponded to the different harvests of the field. Because when they celebrated the feast, it was in association with a type of harvest during that time of the year. So for example, during unleavened bread, what was harvested was barley. And what was included in unleavened bread is a feast called the Feast of First Fruits. And what they were to offer was the feast, uh, was the, uh, the barley. And so before they can harvest the barley, they will get a sheaf of the first fruits and offer that first to Yahuwah. Once it's offered to Yahuwah, the first fruits, then they can go ahead and harvest the rest of the barley. And so during the Feast of Weeks, it was the wheat and the tabernacles. It was the grapes and the olives and other types of different crops. And so tabernacles really is like a culmination of different crops. But with the unleavened bread and the Feast of Weeks, they offered a first fruit. And so unleavened bread was about barley and unleavened the harvesting of unleavened bread began right after first fruits right and then you finish usually when you finish harvesting barley that's the time you begin to harvest the wheat and at the midpoint usually is what we call pentecost or the feast of weeks so oftentimes it aligns that way and so when the barley harvest finishes and the wheat harvest begins that is where Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks begins. And so when we look at the festivals, it centers around the harvest across the different fields there in uh, Israel, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, etc. However, not everyone owned a field. There were people who were rich and there were people who were poor. Yahuwah cared for the poor. This is why he established a kind of welfare program for the poor. You know how that looked like? The book of Deuteronomy 24, 19, and 21, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that Yahuwah your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. So you, you have the field, right? And you have the owner of the land, and you have harvesters working for the owner. And the instruction of Yahuwah is when the harvesters go through the field, 
and begin to harvest. Sometimes there are leftovers because you cannot perfectly harvest all the crops. And so you miss a couple here and there, you drop some here and there. And so the instruction was whatever you drop, whatever leftovers, don't get it. Go through it once, but don't come back. Go through it once and whatever's left over, let the poor have it. Let those who are strangers and fatherless and the widow, let them have it. And so this was Yahuwah's way of providing for the poor, but take note, this was not a, a freebie. The poor still had to work for it, right? This is not a freebie. The poor had to glean it. To glean means to, to, to harvest, to collect. And so these are called, this is called the law of gleaning. And so Yahuwah provided for the poor. And so Ruth had a chance to feed herself and also feed Naomi. What did she decide to do? To go to the fields and hope to find favor. What does that mean? To find favor so that she will find a field somewhere out there who will allow her to glean and to receive the leftover crops without much affliction. Because during that time, especially during the days of the judges, where morality was at a decline, many people kind of harassed the poor, especially if they were women. And so if they were widows and they were helpless, they, there's nothing they can do about that. So she wanted to find favor. And the word favor in the Greek, in the Hebrew, is the word grace. The word grace. And so what we actually find here is it is by grace that she is hoping to be able to find provision for herself and for Naomi as she gleaned to these different fields. And so she needed favor. And that's exactly what she got. She found favor. She found grace. You know why? If you read verse 3, so she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. So that's what the people who are poor and who are not the official harvesters, they're not officially belonging to the field, they go behind the harvesters. And so if they carry the, um, the, the crops and some of it drop, when it drops, whoever gets to it first among the poor, that's theirs. And so that's a tough way to live your life, right? And so uh, Ruth, she was behind the harvesters and she's getting the crops. And then all of a sudden, what does she have? What happens? As it turned out, she found, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So out of all the fields there in Bethlehem, she stumbled upon the field belonging to Boaz. And who's Boaz? She belongs to the clan of Elimelech. So Elimelech and Boaz, the relatives, they are of kin, okay? They are of kin, they're close relatives. That's important, as we will find out later on. But it, Bible, the Bible tells us, as it turned out, as though this happened by chance. Brethren, do you think this happened by chance? No. This was on purpose. This was by grace. This is by the grace of Yahuwah. By Yahuwah's grace, what does he do? He leads her. She leads. He leads her, Ruth, to Boaz. Because Yahuwah is up to something good, which is often the case. Oftentimes, we don't detect Yahuwah working behind the scenes, but he knows our plight. He knows when we need redemption. He knows when we need forgiveness. He knows when we need his help. And so behind the scenes, he begins to work. And behind the scenes, he begins to help Ruth. 
even though Ruth was a Moabite, a Moabite woman. And so he leads her to Boaz, and the word Boaz means inherent strength. Boaz is also the name given to one of the two pillars of Solomon's temple. So remember, our study in the book of Revelation. So we know Boaz kind of represents a pillar of the temple. Boaz represents inherent strength. And so she is led to Boaz. What happens when she is working there in the field of Boaz? Ruth 2, 4 down to 5. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Yahuwah be with you, he said. Yahuwah bless you, the harvesters replied. I want to pause there for a while. You notice how they use the name of Yahuwah for greeting and for blessing, right? And Boaz was a person of integrity. Not only was he well known because of his standing, he was likely wealthy and influential. He owned this field and he had harvesters and he respected his harvesters. And so he says, he greets his harvesters, Yahuwah be with you. Now, when he makes a statement like that, it's not, to be, it's not a trivial thing. It's a meaningful, powerful thing to invoke the name of Yahuwah. This is why, you know, in the assembly of Yahusha, we should never take the name of Yahuwah in vain. You know, if we're going to use the name of Yahuwah, it should be according to his will. We don't just casually drop it here and there in our normal everyday conversations. Only when we intend to give a blessing, to, to give a greeting, should we use the name of Yahuwah. But in our everyday conversations, we kind of mention his name in jest. No, we have to show respect for the name of Yahuwah. So Yahuwah's name was invoked. Yahuwah be with you. Yahuwah bless you, the harvesters replied. And Boaz asks his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? So here's Boaz. And he kind of likes this person that he sees. Who is that that he sees? That's Ruth. Kind of likes her. You kind of see the romance developing here. It's probably called love at first sight. So he comes to the place of harvest and he sees Ruth. And he wants to know who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? What do the harvesters say? Ruth 2, 6 to 7. And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. If you will notice in the book of Ruth, the term Moabite is used again and again and again. And it reminds us that Ruth is not Israelite. He is what again? Moabite. He is a Moabite. And this makes her an outcast because according to Deuteronomy, they are not allowed to be part of the assembly of Yahuwah during that time, right? But because of the faith of this Moabite, because of the faith of Ruth, she finds grace. She finds grace not only in Yahuwah, but also the workers. They allow her to go and glean. Not only that, who spots her <laughs> from the corner of his eye? Boaz! Boaz! is asking the foreman, who is that? And the foreman says, oh, that's the person from Moab, and she's a hard worker. And I think Boaz really likes that. What does uh, Boaz say to Ruth? Let's read uh, Ruth 2, 8 to 9. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter. Uh-oh, 
calls her a daughter. Perhaps there's a big age gap between Ruth and Boaz, but nevertheless, he's kind of growing affection. Uh, there's a growing affection between Boaz and Ruth. He kind of likes it, right? Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields because that was not the only field in Bethlehem. If she wanted to, she could go to a different field, right? But Boaz says, no, you can just stay here. <laughs> Don't go to the other fields. Stay here at my field. You are invited. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. In other words, he's treating her as though she was a regular servant, not as a Moabite or a stranger. That's a big difference, right? So she's getting, gaining favor and grace from Boaz. Verse 9, see which part of the field they are harvesting and follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly because in the other fields, the men, they treat the women roughly and also the poor roughly. And so he warned the young men not to treat her roughly. And when you, and when it says roughly, not only physically, but also verbally, because sometimes gossip can be used against you and you feel the rough effects of gossip. And so he's protecting her from gossip. He's protecting her from harsh treatment. And when you are thirsty, this is a big one, Help yourself to the water where they have drawn from the well. The Bible tells us that we are to help the poor and needy, but this is going beyond what is required by the law. And so we find Boaz showing her favor. And so what does Ruth say about that? Let's read 10 to 12. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? Well, where is that again? Hesed kindness she asked i am only a foreigner yes i know boaz replied but i also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband i have heard about how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers may yahuwah the god of israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge reward you fully for what you have done and so ruth is perplexed by this show of grace and kindness and she asked boaz i don't deserve this but boaz being a man of god he knows that what's happening to ruth is the result of yahuwah's favor yahuwah's favor you know why because of her faith because of her faith what was she able to do leave behind everything in moab to go to a strange place called bethlehem and why was she able to do that? You notice what Boaz said? May Yahuwah, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So he recognized the faith and the trust that this foreigner, this foreigner, this Moabite placed in Yahuwah. He made Yahuwah her refuge. And that's a big thing to Yahuwah. When we make him our refuge, it's a big thing to Yahuwah. And Boaz knows that. This is why he's telling Ruth, Ruth, everything that's happening to you is because of the favor and grace of Yahuwah and his love for you. And so what, does, what else does uh, Ruth say and respond to that? Response to that, uh, Ruth 2, 13 and 14, I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, take a look at this, Boaz called to her, 
come over here and help yourself to some food. I mean, when does that happen, <laughs> right? When you invite your worker to go sit with you and have some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. And that sour wine, what does that remind you of? Bread, wine. What does that remind you of? Does that remind you of the supper or in Yahusha announced the new covenant? And what does this exchange of words between Boaz and Ruth remind you? Could this be typology? Could it be that Boaz is a type of and Ruth a type of? Could it be? Let's explore. She sat with his harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. So you can see the favor and the acts of kindness that Boaz is showing Ruth. Why? Because he has affection for her. Philia. He has love for her. Agape. And so because of this, what happened? Uh, uh, Ruth 2, 15 and 16. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. And pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick, let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. <laughs> Do you see how much favor? Do you see how much kindness Boaz is showing Ruth? In fact, when we summarize uh, that part of the chapter, we can get this uh, enumeration of the, the kindness, the kind acts that Boaz showed Ruth. Number one, Ruth was invited permanently in his field, right? Don't go to any other fields except for this one. Ruth was treated as a servant of the field and not a stranger. Number three, Ruth was given protection. Number four, Ruth was instructed to drink water from the well. Number five, Ruth was comforted with kind words. Number six, Ruth was given all the food she can eat, bread and vinegar or sour wine. Number seven, Ruth was given more than leftovers to harvest. And so when we look at all of the acts of kindness, the loving kindness that uh, Boaz has shown Ruth, it reminds us of Yahusha's kindness to us, does it not? In fact, when we look at these seven statements and these seven acts of kindness, this is precisely what our King Yahusha has demonstrated and expressed to his disciples. This is why one can make an argument that Boaz typifies who? Yahusha. And Ruth, disciple of Yahusha, the church, the assembly, the ecclesia. So we have Boaz pointing to our King Yahusha. We have Ruth pointing to the ecclesia. Those who follow our king, Yahushua. This is why there's this love affair kind of going on, right? And so what happened when this loving kindness, this act of grace was shown to Ruth? What happened? What did she do? Ruth 2, 17 to 19. So Ruth gathered barley, all, uh, barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May Yahuwah bless the one who has helped you. So Ruth 
told her mother-in-law about the man whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. And so what did Ruth do in response to the grace and acts of loving kindness that was shown her by Boaz? She gathered barley all day long. In other words, she worked. You know, brothers and sisters, when it comes to faith, Bible says without works, faith is dead. We show our faith by our works. Uh, Ruth responded from the act of kindness and grace by working hard in faith. And so that's part of the pattern of redemption. We find the book of Ruth. It's the work of faith. There's work involved. You don't just receive and receive and receive. And there's nothing you do on your part. On your part, there's something that Yahuwah God expects from us as he gives us by grace all of these acts of kindness. We need to respond by showing works of faith. And when um, Boaz is introduced to Naomi, what did Naomi say? Romans 2.20, may Yahuwah bless him. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he is showing his kindness to us, to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. And so when Ruth tells Naomi that the one who has given her all this loving kindness and favor was Boaz, all of a sudden, there was a glimmer of hope in the eyes of Naomi. You know why? Because she knows Boaz. Boaz is a close relative related to Elimelech, her late husband. What would that mean? That means he is close of kin. He is a close relative. That means he would be a family redeemer. The word redeemer there in Hebrew is called the goel. The goel. And the goel represents the kinsman redeemer. Because Yahuwah, when it comes to providing for his people, he knows sometimes misfortunes happen. People end up becoming poor. People get sick. People lose their property. Sometimes people lose their husbands and their wives and their, and their children. So Yahuwah provided a way so that the, un, the underprivileged, the, mis, the, uh, the unfortunate ones, to be provided for by means of the Goel. And we can see here the relationship uh, when it comes to in Yahuwah's plan and purpose. When it comes to Israel, people of kin, people of family, they're supposed to be supporting and helping each other. It's the whole concept of the Goel. One who is able to help must help those who are in need. That's the principle of the kinsman redeemer. If you belong to a certain clan or a certain tribe or a certain family, Bible says the one who is able, it is their duty to provide that help. So in a way, this is kind of expressing Yahuwah's plan of someone who's strong to help one who is weak. And so there are certain laws that Yahuwah gave to protect and to help out those who have suffered misfortunes. What is one of them? Leviticus 25, 23, 28. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relatives comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if a man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder uh, to the man 
to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee, it shall be released. For he shall return to his possession. And so one of the ways Yahuwah is protecting the land and the people from suffering so much misfortune is by giving the opportunity for the land that a person may have lost to be redeemed by a close relative, right? For example, a person because of poverty needs to sell his land. That land can be purchased by a relative and be given back to him. Or if he all of a sudden finds a way to kind of get the land again, he can do so if he wishes. However, if he's not, not able to, and no close relative comes to redeem it for him, the Bible says when you reach the year of Jubilee, it's automatically given back to you. And so this is Yahuwah's way of making sure that if somebody hits hard times, it's not going to be permanent. It's not going to be passed on from generation to generation. So there's like a reset button the year of Jubilee. Okay, that's one of the laws that Yahuwah has given. What else? In Numbers 27, 8 to 11, And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest him in his family. And he shall possess it, and it, and it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as Yahuwah commanded Moses. Another way that Yahuwah God protects the inheritance is if um, a person dies, let's say a man dies and has no son, who inherits the property? The daughter. No daughter, the brother. No brother, next of kin, closest relative to him. Okay, that's another law. And here's a very significant law, one that relates with our story, Ruth and Boaz, is Deuteronomy 25, 5 to 10. If brothers go together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her, which includes paying debts which includes avenging death, uh, avenging the death of the husband, if that's needed, okay? And it shall be that the firstborn son, which she bears, will succeed to the time of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel, he will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed very strange but it's one way yahuwah is preserving the, the clans and the tribes and so if there's a man two brothers the brother um, dies uh, and unfortunately um the widow of the dead man they don't have any sons or they don't have any daughters they don't have anything 
what is the duty of the other brother? The Bible says to marry her. Why? So that he can provide for her needs, pay the debts, and provide for her bread and water and all of her, the responsibilities for her. But this is not mandatory. This is by choice. This has to be done willingly. However, if the brother refuses to be a kinsman redeemer, well, then they would have to go in front of the gate called the elders because the gate, you see, the, the gates in the city, that represents the courthouse. And the elders represent witnesses. And so you summon the elders and you make a proclamation that I'm not willing to be the kinsman redeemer for this woman. Okay? And so that's also a law. And it's the law involving the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. And so Boaz, it turns out, is a kinsman redeemer. What does that mean? He can marry Ruth. And when he marries Ruth, he restores all of their land and all of their belongings. And they can be provided for. And that's a great blessing indeed. But to be a Goel or a kinsman redeemer, you have to do four things. Number one, you have to be a kinsman. You have to be related. In this case, he was related to Elhimelech. And Ruth was the wife of Malon, the eldest son of Ahimelech. And so Ruth then can, can invoke the law concerning the kinsman redeemer and request for Boaz to become her kinsman redeemer and marry her. She can make that request according to the law, okay? So you have to be kinsman. You have to be able. And we know that uh, Boaz is able. You have to be willing. If he's willing, that remains to be seen. Number four, you have to assume all the obligations of the beneficiary. He was also the avenger of blood. And so this was a way that Yahuwah gave so that people can be redeemed for. And so there's a need for a kinsman redeemer. Okay? And so understanding this, knowing this, what does Ruth say about Boaz? Romans, uh, Ruth 2, 21, 23. Uh, then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. She's excited now. Before, Naomi was depressed, bitter, and empty. Now she's gaining some hope because there's this possible kinsman redeemer who might say yes to her request, right? Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his uh, young women right through the whole harvest. So we know Naomi's plotting something. She's planning something. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. And so one thing Naomi wants is, we, you, she doesn't want Ruth to go to other fields. She wants her to stay in Boaz's field so that some romance can develop, right? So Ruth worked alongside the woman in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. And so we see Ruth working hard harvesting, providing for the needs of both herself and Naomi. And then, all of a sudden, Ruth 3, 1 to 4, Naomi comes up with a plan. What is that? One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, 
it's time. <laughs> it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. <laughs> Take a bath. <laughs> Put on perfume. Dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. And so Naomi has his plan, and the plan is for the opportunity for Ruth to request. You see, for you to have a kinsman redeemer, you have to make a request. And so she would go to Boaz and make a request that he becomes her kinsman redeemer. In other words, what basically she wants to happen is that he will marry her. Because when he decides to marry her as a kinsman redeemer, guess what? That means all of their financial problems are solved because he's going to take responsibility for all of that, including Naomi. Right? And so this was the plan, and it's a good plan. It's according to the law of Yahuwah, because Yahuwah wants to provide for even the poor, especially the, the widows of the land. And so she needed to court him. And the opportunity came when it was time to winnow the grain. You see, what happens is after the harvest, what the people, you, what the people do is go to a threshing floor. And the threshing floor is, is often shared by other owners of fields. And so what they would do is they go to the to the threshing floor, which is like a flat land, and they would have like oxen trample over the uh, the grain so that the grain can be taken out of the shaft and then they throw it into the wind. It's called winnowing. And so the, the, the wind begins to blow and the, uh, the shaft will be blown far away from you. And what falls down is the grain. And you pick up the grain, you separate it from the shaft, right? And that's what you have. You have your grain now the full grain. And so what they would usually do, because this was a day of celebration, when you winnow uh, the grain, that's a day of celebration. At night, they would, you know, drink and eat and celebrate. And at night, the owners of the fields, they would sleep right next to their grain. And so Naomi knows this. And so he, she had a plan. Wants you to take a bath, put some perfume, put some nice clothes. And when he is sleeping, go lie at his and so when this instruction was given, what did Ruth say? I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. And so she did what was told. And when all things happened according to plan, what did Boaz do? Let's read Ruth 3, 7 to 9. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. And Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer and so when boaz fell asleep just like what naomi said 
by his grain, right? Now, uh, Ruth lays down by his feet. And this was a gesture communicating servanthood, that she wanted to be a servant. And so many, sometimes when people read the book of Ruth and they look at the threshing floor incident, they think it was a seduction. No, it was preparation for the request. What was the request? You are my family redeemer. So she's requesting for Boaz, who is the kinsman redeemer, for him to marry her. And so part of the pattern of redemption is actually requesting redeeming love. And so she sat at the feet of Boaz. Does that sound familiar? When you sit at the feet of Boaz, right? And so she is subjecting herself to be covered by his cloak, which is a sign of his authority. And also that represents his duty as a kinsman redeemer. And so she's invoking this law about the kinsman redeemer and requesting that she be redeemed by his love by becoming her kinsman redeemer. And so what do you think Boaz's reply was? Let's read Ruth uh, 3, 10 and 13. Yahuwah, bless you, my daughter, Boaz explained. You are shown even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, I will talk to him. But if he is willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry. But if he is not willing, then as surely as Yahuwah lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. And so when Boaz receives this request for redeeming love from Ruth, Boaz, she, he wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to do it. But there was that one obstacle in the way. What was that? He was not the closest of kin. <laughs> there was someone closer as a relative. And the Bible doesn't give the name of this relative, but for some reason, this is what's preventing Boaz to say yes. You can kind of sense he really wants to, right? He really wants to, but he needs to follow the law. He wants to follow the law and make it right with Yahuwah, right? And so he's following the law and he's telling Ruth, before I can say yes, we have to ask your closer relative first. And so she said, and he says to her, why don't you lie down here until morning? Now the word lie down here does not connote sexual activity, but just a place for rest because it was dark outside and he wanted to protect her. And so what happened after that, 1415? So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz, it said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back when he returned to the town. And so she stayed overnight, basically, but she left before it was there was light. This is to prevent gossip, 
because when there's gossip, it ruins the reputation of the woman. And he's a, you know, he's very concerned about the reputation of Ruth, especially because he, she is from Moab. She's not even Israelite. And so that's the kind of care that he has for Ruth. And so before she returned home, he gives her six scoops of barley. And he takes, she takes this to Naomi. And so when Ruth gets back home, what happened in the conversation? 1618, when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? So Naomi's excited, right? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter. Until we hear what happens. The man, what man? Boaz. Won't rest until he has settled things today. And so Naomi was sure that Boaz is going to settle this issue today. You know why Naomi knew that? <laughs> because she was given six scoops of barley. She understood the code. What was that? Remember when Yahuwah created, he worked for how many days? Six. And on the seventh, he rested. So this was code for he, he's going to do everything this day so that tomorrow he can rest assured that he's going to marry her. Right? And so that's kind of the code for that. And so what does Boaz do? Well, in Ruth chapter 4, in the last chapter, I know this is lengthy, but this is the only chance really we have to study the book of Ruth. So let's go ahead and complete it. We're the last chapter of Ruth, right? And so Ruth 4, 1 4. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside, sat down, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold a piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me, and that I may know, for there's no one but you to redeem it. And I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Saya. <laughs> I don't know about you. Maybe, you know, when we have this scene, Maybe like from far away, you have uh, Naomi and Ruth kind of eavesdropping, right? And so Boaz kind of looks like Brad Pitt. And then this closer, close relative looks like Danny DeVito <laughs> in the background. And they're kind of hoping, don't redeem it, don't redeem it. But when Boaz presents the issue, what does the close relative, what did he say? I will redeem it. What does that mean? He's willing to do whatever it takes. He's willing to marry. But when he agreed to buy or to purchase the land, to redeem the land, it is his understanding that he's going to marry Naomi. Okay? But there is a monkey, uh, a monkey wrench in this whole plan. Or there is a loophole that some that Boaz presents. What is that? Four to five. Four or five. 
Then Boaz said, Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the land of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. It turns out that land is now tied, not just to Naomi, but also to Ruth. In other words, he has to marry Ruth because Naomi is older and could no longer beget children. And so now maybe he will change his mind. Maybe he doesn't want to marry Ruth because she is from Moab. And so in other translations of the Bible, in Ruth 4, 5 NLT, it says, then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow, that way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. And so when this stipulation was made, what did the close relative say? Then I can't believe it, <laughs> right? And so you can see in the background, you can imagine perhaps um, Naomi and uh, Ruth are jumping up and down, <laughs> right? The family would even reply, because this might endanger my own estate, you redeem the land, I cannot do it. And so because of this, there has to be a transfer of the right to purchase. And what, what needed to happen? Ruth 4, 7 to 8. Now in those days, it was the custom in, in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal right, and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land, which includes marrying who? Ruth. And so in 9 to 10, Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses. And so basically he's marrying Ruth right here, right? You are witnesses that today I have brought from Naomi, I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. So basically he married her. He redeemed the land, the possessions. And so everything that Naomi, that Naomi and Elimelech had before, it was given back to her. And so she was blessed by this. And Ruth was blessed by this. So Ruth because of her faithfulness, was able to provide blessing because of the kindness and the favor and the grace of Yahuwah to provide for the needs of Ruth and also Naomi, 11 and 12. And the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. Make Yahuwah make this, may Yahuwah make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may Yahuwah give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. And so the wedding took place. Boaz got married to the one that he loved. Ruth got married to the one that she loved. They loved each other. They got married according to the law. No law was broken. And so that's also a pattern of redemption. Yahuwah will not break the law to redeem us. The law is to be followed. And so after the marriage, what happened next? 13 to 15. So Boaz took Ruth into his home 
and she became his wife. When she slept with her, Yahuwah enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise Yahuwah, who, was, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. You notice Naomi, when she went back to Bethlehem, she was bitter. What was her name again? Mara. She was empty. She had nothing. Completely empty. Nothing. Now, because of the kinsman redeemer, she was given everything. And even a grandson. Right? Got a grandson. And so Naomi, Ruth, they were able to receive redeeming love. And because of that love, experience joy. And so that's the pattern of redemption we find in the book of Ruth, right? It began with a need for redemption. When they went to Moab, they were disciplined. They lost everything. But Yahuwah was kind. And that's the basis and the beginning of redemption. Yahuwah's loving kindness, hesed. And there must be a response of true repentance, which was shown by Naomi. This is why she went back to um, Bethlehem. By grace, we know what happened to Ruth. She was led to Boaz, and she continued to work by faith, and she was led to a kinsman redeemer, Boaz. And she requested redeeming love when she sat at his feet. And according to law, they were married, and they received redeeming love, which produced experience of true joy. Brothers and sisters, this is the pattern of redemption. And when we look at it, it also explains the pattern that Yahuwah did to redeem us through a kinsman redeemer. Who is our kinsman redeemer? Who is it? Our King Yahusha. See, Boaz represents Yahusha and Ruth represents the ecclesia. And so the pattern of redemption leads to the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer redeems with love and the result is joy. And that joy was found because Naomi all of a sudden now has a grandson. And do you know who that grandson was? Let's read Ruth 4, 16, 17. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed, which means worship. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is why David is often associated with Bethlehem. And there's also another one, another king associated with Bethlehem. Who is that king? The son of David. Who is that? Yahushua. This is why Yahusha is going to make his grand entrance in Revelation 5. And for us to fully grasp the drama behind that, we're going to go back to some of the things that happened in the book of Ruth. And so I want you to remember what happened in the book of Ruth about the kinsman redeemer and the process, because we're going to go back to Revelation 5 and kind of use all of that. This is why Ruth is a stepping stone to understanding the book of Revelation. Because in this grand entrance, 
the son of David, who is Yahusha. That's related to who? Ruth, right? Ruth, who was what? A Moabite. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yahuwah said, no Moabite will ever enter the assembly. But something happened. Something happened to the point that we can say Yahushua, right? Somehow, some ways related to David, related to Ruth. And not only that, there's also another reason why we are studying the book of Ruth today. If we go back to Ruth 2, 21, 23, you notice the events that happened in the book of Ruth take place at the beginning of the barley harvest all the way to the end and the beginning of the wheat harvest all the way to its end, which makes it what? Feast of weeks, Shavuot. All these events are taking place and right smack in the middle is the feast of Shavuot. This is the reason why the Hebrew people, even today, when they are celebrating the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost or Shavuot, even today, do you know what they read? They read the whole book of Ruth. When the Hebrew people today celebrate Shavuot, they all read the book of Ruth. And this is why we went to the book of Ruth today. Not only because it relates to Revelation chapter 5, but also because it teaches us all about Pentecost. It teaches us all about what it means to fully understand the events of Pentecost and what it means for us, which is what we're going to study next week. So before we go to Revelation 5, next week we're going to study all about the Feast of Weeks and Shavuot, how it relates to Ruth. And then the week after that, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 5 and how it relates to the book of Ruth. It's fascinating how everything's connected, you know, which tells us the Holy Bible is designed by Yahuwah. It's not man-made. It's Yahuwah who designed the Holy Bible. And it's teaching us so many things, how the details kind of fall in place when we find the key. Who is that key? Yahusha. He's the key that brings everything together, right? And one of the mysteries involving Ruth is she was a Moabite and Yahuwah said about Moabites they will not be a part of the assembly of Yahuwah but something happened with Ruth she was different there's something called and I want you to keep this in mind the power of faith faith what is faith to believe in what God says. It's very powerful, brothers and sisters. If there's one lesson that you want to kind of get from our study of the book of Ruth, it's what, what faith is able to do for you. Remember Abraham? Bible says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was, going. Remember, at this point, Abraham, before he got called, what was his name? Abraham. He was from Ol, or Chaldea. He was a pagan. Yahuwah God called him. He was rich. God said, leave everything behind and go to a land that you don't know about. Doesn't that sound familiar? 
It doesn't sound like what happened to Ruth, right? What did Ruth decide to do? She left her homeland to go to a strange place. Abraham, when he was instructed by Ruth to go to the promised land where he doesn't know where it's at, he went anyways. Having faith and believing Yahuwah, what did he believe about Yahuwah's promise? In Genesis 15, 5 and 6, and he brought him inside, outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in Yahuwah and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And so when Abraham obeyed because of faith, the Bible says Yahuwah accounted that to him as Righteousness. In other words, Abraham became righteous, even though he had many sins. In the eyes of Yahuwah, because of his faith, he became what? Righteous. That's the power of faith. Ruth, because of her faith, even though she was Moabite by blood, because of her faith, Yahuwah was so moved that he made her to be this to be eventually the great grandmother of david and from david the mashiach himself yahuwah must have seen something in ruth and that was her faith do you know what makes the faith of ruth even more remarkable than abraham when Abraham was summoned by Yahuwah, he gave her, he gave him promises, many promises. He did not give a promise to Ruth, did not. But even then, she decided to go to a strange land. And he, she said, even if she were to die, so be it. And she made that promise to Naomi. Her declaration of faith right there. She was willing to leave everything behind. She was willing to help Naomi. She was willing to go to a strange land, even if there were no promises. You know what that tells me? Ruth, Naomi has faith. She has love for Yahuwah. If there's something Ruth was filled with, was a lot of love, a lot of faith. This is why she was willing to sacrifice so much. And today she's being honored having a book named after her, right? Even though she was an outcast being a woman, even though she was a Moabite, Yahuwah said, it doesn't matter because what he sees, when he sees Ruth, is a person of faith and a person of love. Brothers and sisters, do you want to find favor with Yahuwah? Show love and show faith. Yahuwah cannot ignore that. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done before. If you approach Yahuwah with faith and true love, Yahuwah will move heaven and earth to provide for you, to help you, and to be with you. She sacrificed much because she loved much and Yahuwah loved her very much. That is the story, the book of Ruth.
Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, Yahuwah Almighty, thank you so much because you see all things. You know all things. You know the sorrows and sufferings we go through, but you comfort us. You give us hope. After all, you have given us a kinsman redeemer in the person of your only beloved son, Yahushua. Thank you, loving Abba. Because we are not deserving, we approach you at this moment as sinners, but we approach you in faith and with love. May you help us to nurture that love, to nurture that faith, so that even if we are nobody and nothing, the eyes of people, in your eyes we find favor. Father, Abba Yahuwah, remember us, for many of your people go through tribulation, outcast from where we came from, but you have chosen us and picked us up. Thank you, loving Father. We praise you forever. Thank you for your love, for your affection. Our King Yahushua, we belong to you. We sit at your feet. We know one day you will have us as your wife. We will belong to you. Yes. Soon, loving Messiah, we will be with you in heaven yes. and be with you forevermore. Amen. As we wait, we will do our part to keep the covenant, to remain in faith. Only help us. Yes. We cannot live apart from you. Yes. What gives us hope is thinking about you and how one day we will be with you forevermore. Father, bless us wherever we might be. Prepare us, Father, as we celebrate the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, in our upcoming worship service. Prepare our hearts and our minds. May we all receive the power of your Spirit as we pledge to you our loyalty to follow you always and forever. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.